I bought a copy of the Papa Lip CD, High Time Now, when it was first released in 1998. One of the tracks on it, I'll Be Free, struck me as capturing the optimistic enthusiasm of youth. But what happens to the hopes and dreams of musicians just starting out? I'm Neil Ashworth, and this is I'll Be Free, a podcast about musicians finding a way to make a living, the lessons they've learned, and how they survived, or plan to survive, a life in music. I'm happy if the music is good. Stephen Morecambe is a guitar player and vocalist who's been recording and playing in bands since the 1960s. His story begins in Sydney's North at Asquith Boys High School. When I started at school, playing gigs at school, the late 1960s, 68, 69, 70, and, and we got gigs at other high schools. Playing covers, doing a lot of Chuck Berry stuff and... Uh, throwing a few originals in there as well, a few Jimi Hendrix songs, Cream and bands like that. But it was mainly at school that we got connections with other schools and said we've got a band and so we'd go and do a dance of a night time at the school. Getting a band together, is there's a whole lot of stuff involved in that, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Well, we had friends at school that sounds really strange, but we decided that we were going to tell Ian Lees to play the bass, and that's what he was going to do. And Gary Frost had the guitar, so he he played the guitar, and I played guitar and sort of sang a bit. So we put a band together where we'd rehearse at the school. We had the maths teacher used to open up the school hall of a weekend, and we'd rehearse the band at school, then do lunchtime concerts at school where they'd charge 20 cents in, and then they'd put the money towards the school fund. And then we had um, a friend, Mark McConaughey and Victor Moyer, that got in touch with other high schools and said, we've got a band, Uh, can they come and play at a school dance night? And they'd either agree or disagree. And uh, we'd borrow parents' cars and one of our friends had a a mini minor, so we used to go in that, put the drum kit in the mini minor and borrow my father's car and transport ourselves over to the gig and play. And uh, no problem getting the work then, by the sound of it. Well, I mean, we didn't work that much, but Victor and Mark just used to ring up the high schools and ring up the principals of the high schools and say that we've got a band. Do you want them to play at a school dance where you can raise money for the school? They were good with the gift of the gab, and so we played, you know, several high schools in fifth and sixth form, which is year 11 and year 12, and just organised ourselves over there and set up the PA and played and got paid for it. Did the band have a name? Oh, we, our first band was called Sludge Pump, <laughs> which used to play at the school uh, hall of a lunchtime. And then... There's some moving pictures connection here somewhere along the line, isn't there? In the first band, Sludge Pump, that I was in, we had Ian Lees on the bass, who was the bass player in Moving Pictures, and Gary Frost, who was the guitarist songwriter in Moving Pictures, and they... they went on to that in the 80s, but we just started at kindergarten together and got... Got involved in music in about first year of high school, which is year seven. And they went on to do very successfully with moving pictures. Um, And then we became Allied Harp, which was just a three-piece band. We continued to do that through high school. And then I was going to get a job at the end of high school, but ended up auditioning for another band and worked playing band for two years and earned my money that way. 
grind belt was cool. recorded some songs which I kept on cassette. We used to play four or five nights a week. Hurstville, Newcastle, Hornsby Dance. There was a dance at Narrabeen, uh, Mona Vale, Checkers. A famous name in yeah. Sydney history, well, isn't it? We played it? a lot there. And then they had the Savoy Club up at Newcastle, which was another place that we played. That was an old converted picture show. And uh, we used to play the Hurstville Rivoli, which was a, a dance. There were three bands on, and we'd be one of the bands on and get paid. And we had a, a manager. He was a manager of, of us and also an agent. Brian Toddy's name was, and he had Sugar Agencies. And he got us a lot of work. For two years, we were always in work. And during that, we went down to Melbourne and played down in Melbourne in 1975. And, and I was into blues. Well, I mean, one of my favourite guitarists was Eric Clapton with um, John Mayle and the Blues Breakers. That's when I really loved his playing, just before Cream. And Peter Green, who ended up making the first Fleetwood Mac when it was a blues band. And I loved their playing. I was right into it. It's a heavy blues. It was a rock up tempo, heavy blues. And that's where it came from. Well, it was Gary Norbus on the keyboards. There was Trevor James that used to play with Angus on the drums. There was Rob Dinney on the bass. There was me on the guitar. And Adrian Miller Campbell was the lead singer. That was before I didn't sing in those days. I just played guitar. I took up singing a couple of years later. It sounds like you're making a living out there um, and you're yeah, having fun. Yeah, we were fun. on a wage. The keyboard player's dad, they had a, a big house at Taramara. So we had the musical equipment set up in a room in their house. And we used to rehearse there. And Gary Norbus's dad used to manage the finances of the band. And he organised a circus trailer for us. And Jerry organised the transport. So he'd hook up the circus trailer to his E.H. Holden and drive us all to the gigs. And we'd load the, gig the gear in ourselves and played all the gigs that Brian Todd got us. And we were working four or five nights a week, earning a wage out of it, yeah. Well, what happened was we went down to Melbourne with Michael Browning that used to manage ACDC under the auspices that we'd be successful. And we did a clip for Countdown and he organised George Young and Harry Vander to write us some songs. And we played down in Melbourne for probably about three or four months, working about four or five nights a week. And then there was a bit of contention that we weren't really being as successful or as popular as what Michael wanted us to be. And he wanted to cancel the contract with the band and so we went through the breakup of the band and all that sort of stuff and I'd sort of had enough of it by then. We'd put all this time and effort into it and it didn't work out. So I moved back home and didn't have the band anymore and saw there was an advertisement for the Commonwealth Bank at the Commonwealth Employment Agency and I joined the Commonwealth Bank. Well, Gary ended up with, with John Swan, Jimmy Barnes's brother, and... Adrian Miller Campbell ended up with the Bootleg family, which was a band called Avalanche. He was playing with guys out of the Bootleg family. And Rob, I think, got a job. Trevor got a job as a carpet layer. 
Oh, but Aggie stayed down there. The singer stayed down there and got involved with the bootleg family. I mean, looking back on it now from this distance, three or four months doesn't seem like a long time, but it sounds like they're pretty ruthless. Yeah, well, they were. I mean, Michael was mainly interested with Angus and all those guys, really. That was really what he was really interested in. And we had a personal manager called Barry Earl, which directed us then to get involved with George Young and Harry Vander with songs. Well, we did a clip for Countdown, which we which we didn't think was very successful they didn't think was very successful and we did some recordings at some studios down there of the songs that George and Harry had given us and the recordings I thought the recordings turned out okay but I thought my recording of Rainbow had been better before we went down to Melbourne I thought I recorded the band better than what these studios did and Michael was pretty ruthless yeah he'd given us a certain amount of time to sort of make an impact and uh, when we weren't getting the feedback he basically decided to break the band up and rule ended up coming back to Sydney. Oh, it's 20. I had my 20th um, birthday down in Melbourne. I was still really interested in music when we came back. It's just that I was living at home and wanted to earn some money and didn't have a band. I just had some friends that I played with. So I thought the best thing to do was I wasn't interested in trying to get into a full-time band at that point in time. I decided I'd work in the bank and earn money and just play music that I wanted to play. But I was mainly just working with some friends from school again. Just in Barara, we had a, a house in Barara that the drummer had, and we just rehearsed these songs that I wanted to play. Um, in the 80s, when Moving Pictures started, I started a band called The Personnel with Kim from school and Dennis from school, and we got Ivor Davies out of Ice House to do a recording for us. That got played on Triple J, which was Double J in those days. And we did quite a few gigs. We had management and got quite a few gigs in the 80s. So I did leave work for about a period of a year in the 1980s and did the personnel, which was just a three-piece band. It was very much like the police, a three-piece band. The police were popular at the time and it sort of sounded a bit like police. So we got a fair bit of work in that band. And that was in 1980. And then back to work at the bank. Well, I'd left the bank at that stage and I ended up working with a tax agent, a bass player friend of mine who lived at Asquith. His dad ran a tax agency from home. I was good at accounts, which was something I'd done in the bank. So I ended up working with him in his home family business. I worked there for about three years and during that three years I put this year together, which is the ones that you've had a couple of CDs of that, that we did later on. Yeah. So tell us about that this this year. I didn't realise it was that much history. I thought it was fairly recent. Oh, no, no. Well, see, this year started back in 1981-82. That was with a friend of mine that lived at Hornsby on the drums, Gary Hume, who's passed away since, and Mark Power that lived in Waitara, who's passed away since, and Robbo, uh, Rob Dilling on bass, and he was from Castle Hill. Rob's parents had a... Orchid Farm out at Castle Hill and there was a old converted chook shed which we soundproofed and did our rehearsals out at the farm 
and got um <laughs> in the truck shed. <laughs> yeah, well we got the um insulation from the tip the local tip and we insulated the chook shed and uh, look we had a lot of fun out there it was a lot of fun it was great fun going out there and used to get gigs at the Waitara Blue Gum and um, gigs down at Sutherland and Bull and Bush at Castle Hill and various other places and that was the beginnings of this year which is way back, was just basically a bunch of friends that got together. I don't think the Blue Gum does live music anymore, does it? No, I don't think it does. It was. It had a lot of bands in the um, 80s that played at the Blue Gum and was quite a good gig. Lots of bands, like Midnight Oil played there, Cold Chisel played there, Matt Finish played there, the Machinations played there, lots of well-known bands from the 80s that used to get played on Double J. And were well known and had quite quite big followings. Used to play at the Waitara Blue Gum. It was quite a good gig actually, because we were local. And Gary, the drummer, who was a very affable person, a really good drummer, and he got along really well with the management of the Blue Gum. They liked him and they liked the band, so we ended up playing there quite a bit as a support band to um, some of the big names in music. So we're heading through the 80s here. This year is sort of, well, the first version of it's going. Are you still working? Yeah, I was working as a a tax agent and then I joined the Advanced Bank. I did an album with my wife and Ian Casey, another friend from school, called On Common Ground. vinyl and uh, got a big special on 2GO I think it was up at um, the Central Coast and they did a whole review of our album the On Common Ground album and interviewed Ian went for about three quarters of an hour on their nighttime album review station that they had or album review section that they had and well we with On Common Ground it was um, my wife and myself and Ian on the drums just a three piece band and I double tracked the bass and did all that sort of stuff we didn't actually play gigs except at parties because I was working full time and Ian had a job full time and my wife was working this is before kids so I sent out a lot of promotional copies of the albums to university stations. We got some good feedback. With our playing tracks off the album on the university stations that they had, we didn't sell many albums through gigs or anything like that because we are just doing parties and stuff like that. But um, that was a good time. I, I really enjoyed doing that album. And then when I was working at Sheldon and Hammond, I did three CDs with probably about another 15 odd musos and uh, I did a depot CD CJ CD
and we did one called Tandoori Road. Bob Spencer out of the Angels on it, had Fez Parker out of the Radiators on it, had Peter Heckenberg on drums, and I was on guitar and vocals, and my wife was on keyboards. It, it sounds like you're part of quite a big family of musicians. Are you all sort well, of... Well, that, that was it. That was it, Neil. I, I then started sending out CDs to friends called Big Family Music, and that's exactly what it was, because I've got, in my collection, I've Probably about 20 musicians I've got that I've recorded with. Very lucky to have recorded with them too, by the way. They're very talented musicians. Wrote songs with them and recorded them out of Castle Hill at a place called Noisegate Studios, which used to exist. And I recorded four or five albums out there over a period of six years. It's like, I mean, that sounds quite prolific as well. And these are original songs like that you've written? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in conjunction with musicians. See, I was very lucky that I met a lot of musicians playing music. I met a lot of very talented musicians. I was working and earning a good wage and I said, look, I'll pay for the recording if we get together and write songs and record. Well, everybody was amenable to that. I paid for the CDs to get pressed and recorded, and the musicians donated their time. Could you have made a living out of music on its own? I suppose, yeah, probably yes. I could have, but I was working during the day and recording of a night time and a weekend and on holidays and stuff like that. But with the musicians that I, I was in touch with, who, who now are still playing, like Peter's with um, Angry Anderson out of Rose Tattoo now, and Fez is still with the Radiators, I think, and Bob Spencer's doing his own solo project after the Angels and Skyhooks that he was in. These musicians that I came in touch with are still playing and are still doing what they do, I was just lucky enough to say to them, well, look, let's write some songs together, or you come in, Bob, and play some guitar on some songs that we've done. And he said, yeah, I'll do that, Steve, that's fine. Because I knew him from school days when I was in Allied Harp and Rainbow with Brian Todd. I, they had a band called Finch, which had Owen and, and Bob on guitar, and we got along really well. So, But all these musicians and that I just befriended over the years, jamming down at the Taramara coffee shop, seeing them at gigs, getting to know them at gigs and stuff like that. And my wife was a very good keyboard player. I really like a keyboard playing. And so how we'd spend those years, and it went for about six years, was I'd get in a different batch of musicians. We'd write songs. My wife would work out keyboard parts to them. The musicians would come and record, and I'd release the CDs. So when you say you'd release the CDs, what what did that mean in those days? Well, what it meant in those days was I had a friend called Lenny Paul, and I did 
five CDs with him and he organised for the pressing of the CDs, he organised for the album covers and so what I used to do then was to give the people in the band that it was applicable to 50 or 100 copies of the CDs to distribute and promote and sell if they wanted to and the other ones I'd post out to friends and give away to friends. That's how it used to work but but it's sort of not generating a lot of money no, just from no, that. It wasn't. No, <laughs> no, not at all. No, it wasn't. I really didn't do it for the money making. I did it because I believed in the musicians and I liked the material that we did. And even now, I still listen to it now and I'm very proud of what I've done. I've had the opportunity to record with friends who were good musicians, uh, but no money really was earned out of it. Nobody's really heard of it except you, mainly, and I haven't played you most of the CDs that I've done, but we'd get friends and families and that that would enjoy the CDs and like the CDs and never really ever promoted big family music other than through friends and relatives. And this is all sort of happening around the Sydney area, the Sydney around area, the, yeah. Hornsby area. You're, you're mentioning Taramara and Waitara and yeah. Barara, and but you're not touring because no, you? well, you're working. Um, a lot of the people that I played with were in working bands. Now, I was working at a day gig during the day doing accounts, and Dave and Peter and Bob and Fez and all these guys were actually working in playing in bands that paid their money to play over night time. I'd enlist their support, and when they weren't doing gigs of a Saturday or a weekend or stuff like that, I'd get them out to play and record the music, and then I'd just look after distribution of the CDs, and that was just through friends and family and relatives and friends of the bands that they were playing in. So no no real money was ever, was ever earned out of it, but I sent them to a lot of radio stations, which gave them a bit of airplay, but there was no management behind big family music to promote anything. So it's really just been, for me, I wanted to record the musicians. I believed in them. I thought they were good. And I still now think the recordings are really good. They still stand the test of time now. What happens next? Well, after the 90s, I had a bit of a break from recording. And I ended up playing in a blues band in the year 2000, which was a very good blues band. We got a lot of work in this blues band. I earned a bit of money out of it and I was doing cleaning at the time and uh, we did a recording of them was called Texas Radio They call it Stormy Monday Tuesday's just as bad They call it Stormy Monday and we had a guitarist in there and I was, I was playing rhythm guitar in the band and we recorded about 10 songs and we were working every weekend in the blues circuit, which is different to the rock circuit. There was a blues circuit happening and Henry was on drums and he was the promoter of the band. He'd ring up pubs, clubs and book us in to get paid. This is a time of four-day riders and That's it. Uh, Bondi uh, Cigars. Bondi Cigars. Well, I'm friends with Shane Pacey out of Bondi Cigars because I knew him. I knew him way back in the days where I knew Angus and Mark Sneddon and, and Dennis Flannery and Kim Knight. I met Shane Pacey in 1976. He came over for a jam at Dennis's house and I've known him ever since. I really think he's a really talented man. I like his singing and I like his guitar playing in the Bondi Cigars and he's also played with Ron and Jeff King out of the Four Day Riders. Very talented man. 
there's a blues circuit is that particular set of venues well there were about yeah there were there there were about five or six venues which we used to regularly play at and henry used to organize them there was blues headquarters which is in the city in the city there was uh taradjuri which was down the south coast there were other pubs and clubs in the in the metropolitan area and i can't remember them all offhand now because i didn't keep a record of them which hired blues bands and it was a bit of a trendy thing, you know, that they'd advertise blues venue and they'd get in us, Texas Radio, to play blues all night and um, people liked it. They'd get up and have a dance and like the music. So you're getting paid for these gigs, obviously? Getting paid for those gigs. That was where I did earn some money out of music in Texas Radio. We'd get 150 or 200 for the night and that would cover our petrol and give us 50 or 60 bucks to take home in our pockets at the end of the night so and I did that for two years and then that led on to this year okay. coming back into the fold again which you and I got in contact with yeah and that was in 2010 at Mark Power's birthday party who was the original guitarist in this year he was still alive and I met up with Robbo the bass player he was living right up at um, Federal which is right up near Byron Bay. He had a home studio and I ended up catching a plane and he'd pick me up from the airport and we'd record this year in a new new band at Byron Bay, which is federal, in Rob's home studio. And that's how I met you originally, was we had this year, which was called I Am Who I Am. year CD and they were recorded in 2012 and 2015. And, and they got a lot of airplay down at Triple H. A lot of airplay, yeah. yeah, it was good. Each plan that you make is reaching out to sea Just what it takes to All original songs and it was this year back together again because Gary had passed away the drummer but Mark Power was still alive but he was too far he wasn't in the band anymore so I double tracked all the guitar did all the singing and we got in a drummer called Morgan Douglas who worked in a couple of session bands that he did work with very good drummer and uh, we got him out to the shed at the um, farm again (laughs) up in Federal at Robbo's place and we recorded him on the drums very good drummer he did a really good job on the two CDs and um, we got 500 pressed and Rob paid for those to be pressed and then that's how I met you with a copy of I Am Who I Am the other thing we've touched on there you say you know the thing that really happened in the sort of late 90s early noughties the rise of the home studio very much so where um, you know it used to be a band in the garage 
banging yes. things out and all of a sudden you've got really sophisticated equipment. Like what you've got, you yeah. You can put in your, basically in your bedroom with a bit of soundproofing or something. Well, exactly. You're exactly right there, Neil. I mean, what Robbo had organised was a shed, like a bigger bedroom. That's all it was. And he had all his home studio. The two albums that you've got copies of was all done in the home studio. That's basically how it was done. So nowadays, a lot of people that I know of um, record in their bedroom do the drum tracks, um, bass tracks, write their songs, do their vocals, overdubs, get friends in to record in their home bedroom. So it has really changed. Once upon a time, when I was down in Melbourne, you'd go to a professional studio, which was set aside in an industrial area with 24-track, 12-track, 16-track studios. But over the decades... It has turned into now that a lot of people record from their home. You know, 32, 64 track stuff sitting... Uh... Oh, it's amazing. The digital age has really opened up the ability for, for a young kid at school, if he wants to, if he saves his money up, he can buy the gear to get professional sounding recordings. And that's really changed. That that has really changed. I mean, the albums that we did the this year ones on, really it was a bedroom recording, really. It was just a shed. It wasn't that much bigger than a bedroom. We had the drums in there, probably about as big as this room it was. And you could, you'd have the drums in there and you could record the whole thing yourself. So what are you up to now then? Well, at the moment, I've been writing songs and then the COVID thing happened and it stopped the whole thing. <laughs> I was writing songs, I was organising for some friends to go out and record at a studio, but there were restrictions on rehearsing in a studio, and I was going to use their recording equipment, because nobody in the group of people that I was involved with had a home studio set up, and I was going to go back a bit in time and record at a studio, at a rehearsal studio. So that's basically where I'm at at the moment, is um, when COVID is over, whenever that happens, I want to go out to, because I haven't got a record studio myself at home and just record in an old format rehearsal studio with the recording studio attached but the road is open for anybody out there that wants to record themselves the equipment is becoming cheaper and you can buy really good quality equipment that you can set up in your own bedroom write your own songs get drum machines and get a really professional sounding recording and some of the stuff that I hear on Triple J has been done just that way people have used their own home studio and it it sounds fantastic. Is there a difference, though, in actually having all the musicians in the room as opposed to everyone doing their own part and putting it together? Look, I honestly believe there is, but then people probably say that's just because I'm 65 years old, you know, and I'm old and dated, an old, old dated person. But to be quite honest with you, when we recorded those this year albums, we were playing live. It was a very small space. It was like a, a bedroom recording, but the drum kit was in the room. I was playing guitar and Rob was playing bass. You know, it was only a small room. I feel, and that's only me, that you do get more life and more of that magic about playing live when you play as a group. That's what I think. But then again, some of the stuff that I hear on Triple J and some of the bands that they get there is amazing. But how do you make a living out of being a musician these days? How would Really you live performances. The way that musicians earn their money now is through live music. It's getting paid for playing live because streaming, there's very little money in it at all for what you get paid. And people don't really buy CDs anymore. Maybe they buy vinyl records, but that would be a small market. I'd say that most of the people that are 
earning money out of music now in Australia would be earning through festivals where they get paid a good good amount of money to play at festivals and playing at gigs in the metropolitan area or inner city area getting paid for live gigs. Where are you now? What are you up to now? Well, at the moment... I'm playing left-handed, which is something that I've always wanted to do. I used to you play what? right-handed. I'm playing left-handed. <laughs> is this a, like Jimi Hendrix type of thing? Is it? Oh, well, there you go. There you go. Jimi Hendrix, one of my all-time favourites. Absolutely amazing guitarist. Beautiful voice too. At the moment, I'm writing songs, and I want to record them. That's that's what I want to do. I'm just working at cleaning during the day, and uh, I get off about half past one or so, do one job a day, and I come home and just tinker around writing songs. And what I want to do is record them and then just send them out to friends i mean i've got i've got friends that i've made contact with over the years and i've got their email addresses and i just send them songs i don't earn any money out of it or anything like that but they seem to enjoy the music and i enjoy sending it to them so yeah it's blues rock some of it would be rock music you classify it as rock music that i write and play that's all i I do is just basically end up recording and you're back in the recording studio as soon as you can just that with me really I'm happy if the music is good. Oh, I think it's good anyway. I don't know what other people think of it, really. You never know. But um, just basically, yeah, recording. That's that's basically what I'll be doing. And just organising a few players and organising a studio to record it. And then I'll just send it out to my small group of people via email. And if they enjoy it, my job's done. You can find Stephen on Facebook by searching Stephen Walker. And just keep an eye out on the local media for his occasional appearance at a pub near you. I feel good in a special way. In our next episode, we talk to Bruce Reed, who's currently the guitarist for Dragon. Produced and mixed by Neil Ashworth on Goringai Country. The intro music is I'll Be Free by Papa Lips from the album High Time Now. Check out the website fishwishing.com.au for all the other details, including a track list. 